We see the wise men coming from the east to Jerusalem looking for the Christ child. And when Herod hears the news, he's disturbed. And so he gathers together the chief priests, the scribes. And he says, you're the the smart guys. Tell me, where is the Christ to be born? What do they say? And so they tell him the baby is supposed to come from Bethlehem. And then they quote from this prophecy from Micah chapter 5. Now muster your troops, O daughter of troops. Siege is laid against us. With a rod they strike the judge of Israel on the cheek. But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. Therefore he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth, Then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel, and he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they shall dwell secure, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be their peace. This is the Lord speaking through the prophet Micah. We're near the end of the 8th century, and as is so often the case with the prophets, there's layers of fulfillment in mind. If you think of viewing a mountain range, and as you're standing at a distance, you see all of these peaks, and they seem to be in a straight line. And it looks as if you could just approach them, and then there would be one and another and another and another, and they're all on the same horizon and on the same plane. But as you go closer, you realize that this peak was here, and it's another 25 miles into the mountain range for the next peak, and it's another 50 miles later till you get to the next. And there is a distance between these peaks, which at once look to be right in front of you. It's a good metaphor for how prophecy works from the Old Testament to the New Testament. Almost whenever you have an Old Testament prophecy, you have this prophetic foreshortening and sometimes lengthening. So things seem to be in one horizon, seem to be one layer of fulfillment. And yet as time goes on, there's almost always something that happens in the short term and the medium term and then the long term and sometimes the term that we haven't even gotten to. And so it is with Micah's prophecy. There's an immediate concern. The Assyrians, Sennacherib's invasion, gathering around Jerusalem, laying siege on the holy city. And then there is the prophetic concern that will come next, the Babylonian captivity. These disasters were God's judgment on his people for breaking his covenant. But of course, we know as we read the New Testament text that there is a farther fulfillment. That not just will God see to it to rescue his people in Judea from Sennacherib. Not just will he bring them back from Babylon. But this one, this ruler from ancient days will come and be born and lead them to the true promised land. Now, in particular, Micah is upset with Israel's leadership. You see it in chapter 3, flip back the page, verse 9. They detest justice. They make crooked all that is straight. 
They give judgment for a bride. The priests teach for a price. The prophets practice divination for money. These are religious officials and civil magistrates who have been bought off with money and God is not happy. And so God's people are about to be humiliated. Chapter 5, verse 1. Muster your troops, O daughter of troops. Siege is laid against us. But the prophet tells of a ruler who is to come. A surprising ruler. Surprising in at least two ways. Look at verse 2. He's surprising because he is an ancient ruler. And he comes from a little town. Oh, little town of Bethlehem. We just sang that song. Here it's called Bethlehem Ephrathah. Ephrathah is the ancient name for Bethlehem. Genesis 48, 7. As for me, when I came to Paddan, to my sorrow, Rachel died in the land of Canaan on the way when there was still some distance to go to Ephrath. And I buried her there on the way to Ephrath. That is Bethlehem. So Bethlehem is its name here, and Ephrathah is an ancient name for the same city. Perhaps you know some biblical etymology. You know that Bethlehem, Bet-Lechem, is the word house of bread. Ephrathah comes from the verb para, meaning to be fruitful or to bear fruit. And so it's a bit of speculation, but perhaps we're meant to see A connection that this child who would be born in Bethlehem Ephrathah would later give his body as bread and offer up his blood as the fruit of the vine, the bread house, the fruitful place, Bethlehem Ephrathah. Here, the one thing the Lord wants to show us about Bethlehem is that it is is small. Now, you might say, well, why not talk about it as the city of David? And that's true. Great King David was born there, but that's not the point of the prophecy. In fact, it's exactly the opposite. The Lord doesn't direct our attention to say, well, look at that's the city of David. That's where you'd expect a great king to come. No, no, no. He says, this is little teeny Bethlehem, Ephrathah. You see the phrase, too little to be among the clans of Judah. They were going through the census of Judah. Little Bethlehem was standing in the back. We have people too. I said, no, 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 you're too small. No census for you. Too small to be counted among the clans of Judah. This is a tiny town. No zip code. No post office. No football team. Not even a four-way stop. Little insignificant Bethlehem is not what you would expect. This is no world-class city, no famous cultural center. A mighty ruler is supposed to come from here. It's like saying the quarterback to lead you to the Super Bowl never played college ball. It's like saying today the next president of the United States will have not even finished grade school. Did you know that every one of the current Supreme Court justices went to Harvard or Yale for law school? Here's their schooling. 
Roberts, Harvard, then Harvard. Ginsburg, Cornell, then Harvard, then Columbia. Thomas, Holy Cross, then Yale. Stephen Breyer, Stanford, then Harvard. Kagan, Princeton, then Harvard. Alito, Princeton, then Yale. Sotomayor, Princeton, then Yale. Gorsuch, Columbia, then Harvard. Kavanaugh, Yale, then Yale. Huh. Makes you feel like you're not doing much with your life, huh? Every single one of them went to law school at Harvard or Yale. Well, that's what you'd expect, right, Supreme Court justices? Did you know that our last five presidents all went to Ivy League schools? President Trump went to UPenn. Obama went to Columbia and Yale Law. George W. Bush went to Yale, then got an MBA from Harvard. Clinton went to, went to Georgetown and then went to Harvard Law. Bush 41 went to Yale. You have to go back to Reagan to have someone who didn't go to an Ivy League school. Well, it wasn't always the case, but that's what you've come to expect. That's where the important people come from. I know they come from Duke and Chapel Hill as well. And you can all argue amongst yourselves where the more important people come from. And then some of you say, no, they come from Clemson. That's where they play football. Now, you might expect that a mighty ruler would be born in Rome or Athens or Carthage or Cairo or Babylon or at least Jerusalem, but Bethlehem? Now, why emphasize Bethlehem? Well, yes, it's to contrast little teeny Bethlehem with the grandeur of the ruler to come. That's part of it. But more than that, it's to show that divine Deliverance does not come according to human deserving. It doesn't work like the Amazon H2 headquarters. Okay, we're just going to, who wants the Messiah? What kind of tax breaks can you give? This is a big deal, a lot of good jobs. This is going to mean a lot of tourism for all time. Who wants the Messiah? Bring in your, put put in your submissions. That's not how it worked. This was not God scouring the planet. Which city looks to me to be most important? Where can I make a name for myself? Where will they really have the infrastructure ready for my Messiah? No, it's not according to human deserving. It's of grace. Oh, Bethlehem Ephrathah, too little to be among the clans of Judah. And God says, that's where I want my Messiah to be born, because that's the sort of God that he is, saving the weak, the helpless, the unimportant. It's grace. As I heard one preacher remark recently, perhaps there was no room in the inn so that no innkeeper could later boast and say, well, you know that, that Jesus, that guy, <laughs> he was born in my inn. Perhaps none of the family had any rooms available, so nobody, you know what they would be doing, elbowing each other. Well, listen, listen, okay, honey, where was the Messiah born? He, you didn't have any room, he was born in our living room. Maybe God didn't even want a carpenter to boast and be able to say, well, I made the bed that he was born in. No. Just a manger with no room in the end so that no one can boast except maybe a donkey. Just the way God works. This is a surprising ruler because Bethlehem is so small. And then second, because the ruler is so ancient. 
Yes, he will be born, but he will be born from of old. Some translations say from everlasting or from eternity. Here is the mystery of the incarnation. The one who always existed would be born. The one who was from ancient days would enter the world in the fullness of time. There never was when the son was not. And yet this child conceived by the Holy Spirit grew, developed, pushed his way out into the world. The son of God as a man was something new, but the son of God who took on frail human flesh, this son of God who would become incarnate, this son of God is present here at the time of Micah, at the time of David, at the time of Abraham. This ruler is of ancient days. He is there at creation before the calling forth of the stars around when there was nothing at all except Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Ancient. And have you ever noticed this little phrase in the middle of the verse? From you shall come forth for me. Now who's talking? Well, it's the Lord speaking through the prophet Micah. So this ruler... So this is Yahweh, the the Lord, the ancient one, the eternal one, the eternally begotten one is a distinct person from this Yahweh speaking. And yet he is coming in fulfillment of this Yahweh speaking. He will come forth for me. And we see this in the gospels, the Christ Submissive to his father's will. Come to inaugurate his father's kingdom. Dying on the cross to satisfy his father's just wrath. So if you think to yourself, what is Christmas for? It's Christmas for family. Nostalgia. It's a wonderful life. Consumer spending. Bolster the economy. How about this? Christmas is for God. Of course, it's for us too. The baby is Jesus to save his people from their sins. But Christmas, like everything else, is preeminently for God, his glory, his praise, the completion of his purposes. From you shall come forth for me, one who is to be ruler in Israel. And this ruler will usher in a new day for God's people. And this new day would mean the end of their Abandonment. It would be the ingathering of the remnant. In this new day, we read, the ancient ruler will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord and the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. Now think about it. That is quite a gutsy promise when you have the world's superpower knocking on your door. That was Assyria. That was the power in that region. And there they are. Jerusalem is under siege. How are they going to escape? And Micah, with the word of the Lord, has the audacity to say, (laughs) don't worry. There's a ruler coming. There's an ancient one coming. And he will stand and be strong. And he will be our peace. This Assyria ain't nothing. This new day has come with the birth of Jesus. Do you know that? Do you believe that? Several years ago, I was reading a book called Everything Must Change. It was not a good book. 
and it didn't have a particularly good title. A better title would be Everything Has Changed. It has. Because of what we sing about tonight. See, the Israelites waited for thousands of years, thousands of years, and then on one quiet night, unbeknownst to virtually all of them, in an out-of-the-way town, it happened. The prophecies came true. You see, most days we live life never really thinking about standing before God, but we will, either in death or when he returns. In all of the things that we've read about, the things that perhaps we've heard about, the things maybe we grew up on, maybe we've, we've long since really stopped believing, these things will happen. The first advent happened. The second advent will happen. And just as they were there going about their business, eating, drinking, sleeping, marrying, giving birth, making a living, paying taxes, and then it happened. The Messiah came and everything changed. Over the centuries, we have forgotten the seriousness of what happened on that quiet night in Bethlehem. Our shepherd has come. Our security has come. Our peace has come. You know, people sometimes say, well, pastor, do you love Christmas or Christmas and Easter? That's like tax time for the accountant. You just have extra sermons to do, and that's where you really earn your keep. Well, I don't know about that. I think it's a little more enjoyable than tax time. But I will tell you, this is difficult about Christmas. You think, what else is there to say? I don't even do four weeks of Advent sermons because early in ministry, I just did the math. Hey, if I'm going to be a preacher for 40 years, before, oh, I don't have that many good Christmas sermons. Let's just try to do one on Christmas Eve. And you know what the problem is? It's not with the story. It's not with the Bible. It's with our hearts. My heart. That we think, tell us something new. But you don't need something new. You need something ancient. This whole Christmas season will be a waste if you don't exit on the other side of it, loving Jesus more, knowing Christ better, believing more deeply in your heart that everything has changed. If Micah 5 is true, and this ancient ruler has come from little teeny Bethlehem, then why are you so cynical? Why are you so pessimistic? Why are you so afraid? Why are you so full of doubt? Why can a turn of the TV channel send you into a tizzy for days on end? Why do we live our lives as if nothing has changed when everything has changed? Listen. Listen. 
the biggest news of 2018 is not the cave rescue that happened in Thailand or another royal wedding or the confirmation hearings or midterm elections or who's going to run for president or the hurricanes that went through North Carolina. The biggest news of this past year, Jesus still reigns. Our deliverer has come. That slithery serpent has had his head crushed. And that snake crusher has come in the form of a little child. Born to a young woman in a little town in the armpit of the Roman Empire. A little child in a little town whose coming forth was from of old, from ancient days. A king of kings, our prince of peace. And the world is not the same. The only question is, are you? Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we give thanks for this Christ child. We give thanks that in the fullness of time, all of your promises were found to be yes and amen in Christ. We pray now that we would find our yes and amen in him. And that we would believe and worship and sing and be changed. In Christ we pray. Amen.